it's always hazardous to give advice to the young in the sense that uh, each of us is a different individual. So what I'll do is, is tell you a little of my career and the lessons I've learned along the way. As you heard, I grew up in Montana, went to high school in a town that had less than 3,000 people. Uh, and in fact, the high school itself had less than 200 students. But it was truly a remarkable high school because it sent five students to Caltech in a period of five years. And as far as I know, no other students went to Caltech during that period of time from the state of Montana. This was because of three really exceptional teachers, two in science and one in history and social studies, who had the ability to treat students as individuals and stimulate the best in them. I was one of the five who went to Caltech, and it was an overwhelming experience. There I met prep school uh, colleagues who had had the equivalent of the first year's work at Caltech. But it was reassuring to find that after two or three years that with hard work and perseverance, uh, all uh, seemed to even out. What was striking about my Caltech experience was, one, I came away with the conviction that biology was a unique opportunity for the future. And two, I realized how important having the association, for me anyway, with first-rate uh, colleagues was. I went then to medical school, not really to become a doctor, but rather to take human biology and find out what particular career path might interest me. And because Hopkins, Johns Hopkins, was uniquely flexible, I was able to finish that endeavor in slightly more than uh, two and a half years, and there become exposed to, I think, what is one of the most fascinating uh, intellectual problems for uh, human endeavor at this point in time, and that is the problem of development. This whole concept of we've all, each of us in this room, started from a single fertilized egg. That egg is divided into two, into four, into eight cells. It's formed balls and cylinders and flattened cylinders, and it's generated the three tissue types that make up the major components of our human body. But it's done it for all of us in precisely the same way. And the essence of the question, of course, is what is the nature of this molecular and cellular choreography that can so reproducibly uh, make each of us? Now, that's an enormous problem, so I focused on a smaller aspect of it at that time the question of how one subset of these cells, the immune system, actually functions in health and disease. The immune system, as many of you know, is unique because it has the capacity to protect us against virus and bacteria and cancer cells, and it does so by virtue of its ability to make many, many different kinds of protein molecules. And this looked like a challenging uh, aspect of developmental biology. So what I learned at Hopkins was the importance of selecting a major and important problem uh, to begin thinking about. Now, my subsequent career back at Caltech to get a PhD, then at the National Institutes of Health, and finally back at Caltech as a faculty member focused my lab's efforts in, in two major directions. One was this direction of developmental biology and how the immune system works. And we, among others, discovered one of the truly remarkable facts about how information comes out of uh, this whole process of the human genome. You know that the construction of human organisms 
is encoded in the 23 pairs of human chromosomes, which have lots and lots of individual units of information called genes. And they are translated into the molecules that actually comprise our body and catalyze the reactions of life and give our, our body size and shape and form of proteins. The immune system then has to be able to make millions of different proteins. And the question is, with a limited amount of chromosomal material, how do you make millions upon millions of proteins? And a remarkable observation is it uses the strategy of the molecular jute box. Think of, in fact, the genes that make up the proteins for antibodies as being in three different pools, a hundred little genes in each pool. How the immune system operates is to be able to put each of these genes from each pool together with every other gene in each of the other pools. So if you have a hundred in one pool and a hundred in the second pool and a hundred in the third pool, from three genes, you can generate a million different protein possibilities. And this is exactly, in fact, how the immune system works. Now, at this same time, I became convinced that what drives modern science uh, in, in a really imperative way is the development of new technologies. And to that end, we at Caltech have, over the past 15 years, developed a series of machines that allow us to synthesize genes. To give you some idea of the power of this gene machine, we can synthesize in a day what took 15 years ago 25 people six or seven years to synthesize. And in fact, we can do it with the part-time help of one uh, technician. We can synthesize proteins that are three or four times as large as, uh, as people had been able to synthesize proteins, and we can begin to discern the rules for how proteins fold up into three dimensions and constitute the molecular machines that are the essence of life. We've developed machines that allow us to determine the order of the 20 subunits in proteins, and this gives us important insights into how they work. And even more recently, we've developed a machine that allows us to determine the order of the four different subunits in the chromosomes, that is, a DNA sequencer. And of course, this has opened up the possibility of what is perhaps the most exciting uh, potentially exciting of all uh, biological endeavors to date, that is the potential for sequencing the entire human genome. Now, your 23 pairs of chromosomes uh, include 3 billion different nucleotides. And if you translated that into a series of encyclopedias, it would constitute 500 volumes, uh, each volume a 1,000 pages in length, and each page containing a 1,000 words. And what sequencing the human genome means is determining the order of every single word in this 500-volume encyclopedia of life. And of course, once we've done that, then we'll be able to determine where all the genes are, what the nature of their function is. We'll be able to unambiguously identify and associate genes with particular kinds of genetic diseases. We'll come to understand the physiology of complex systems and how it functions. Uh, both in health and disease. It's my feeling that biology is in the midst of a revolution which will go on for the next uh, 20 years. It will be at the very forefront of intellectual ferment, and it will learn more about human medicine and biology in the next 20 years than we have in the last 2000. It's an incredible opportunity for people who uh, indeed are interested in science. So what I've in looking back now learned from this uh, aspect of my career is the importance 
of picking a problem enthusiastically and directing yourself at it uh, with passion and energy and really accomplishing something. So the whole issue then, if I look back over these lessons of responsibility to young colleagues to stimulate them in the same way that I was, the advantages and the opportunities of interacting with colleagues that are stimulating and exciting and interesting, the importance of selecting fundamentally important problems and working toward them uh, with passion and, and fervor, I think all yields to the last dictate that I've learned, namely it all has to be fun. Uh, I think my life has been one of the most exciting I could imagine. I wouldn't trade places with anyone in this, this room. I realize now, though, in retrospect, that what counts is the path by which you get to the end of the road. There isn't any road. So I wish in your individual paths that you have picked important problems, you attack them with passion and energy, but most of all, I hope you have fun. Thank you.